Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. broadcast today is entitled Work, Wealth, and Wisdom. Our thoughts today will communicate to you about a very practical subject that the Bible says a lot about, that we should engage our time in working, that as we do that, we will have income that could, it might not, but it could lead to wealth and Anytime you're dealing with work and anytime you're dealing with the financial aspect of life, we need wisdom to know how to utilize what we have. And so the person that works, the person that perhaps generates some degree of wealth, they need wisdom to be able to handle the wealth that they have achieved. I'll open up today with a little bit of a preface. Sometimes pastors, sometimes Bible teachers shy away from teaching on this subject, or at least the financial aspect of this subject, because of either the skeptics who say Christianity is just a racket for preachers to have control and make an income for themselves, or We shy away from teaching on this subject because of the actual wolves in sheep's clothing who use ministry and coercion along with false theology and false promises to become millionaires. But just because there are skeptics and just because there are abusers doesn't mean that we should avoid speaking on a relevant, needful subject such as this. In our broadcast today, we want to consider subjects such as what God originally intended for mankind, what we're to be doing with our time as we live here. We're not to just be treading water, watching the clock tick, but we are to be doing something. We're to be active people. We will investigate that from the Word of God. 
but we will also look at the concept of wealth and what the Bible says about it. When we get to that part of the broadcast, it might surprise you the negative connotation that wealth sometimes has in the Word of God. So the first thing that we want to do today is speak to you about the subject of work, what you and I are to spend a substantial period of time each week throughout our lives doing. You might say that this is one of the parts of God's will for humanity. Certainly it was one of the first things that God told man to do and instructed man to do in the beginning of time, and that is simply to go and work. You could probably imagine that we're turning to the book of Genesis chapter 3 as we look at the subject not only of work, but also God's role for both men and women in society and men and women in the homes. And the reason that we turn there is, quite simply put, this is when God created human beings and this is when God gave mankind their instructions. This is what we are to be doing as natural creatures who live in this world. Now, there are other assignments that God has given us to do. If you're a person that is a disciple of the Lord Jesus, we're commanded to do many things. There are many different commandments that God has given us, but I like to emphasize this here in early Genesis as something that God has commanded all people. This matters not. If you're a child of God, if you're not, if you're a person that's been discipled, if you're not, if you're a backslidden believer, or you go to church every Sunday and Wednesday. This is true to all human beings. These are things that God has said to all people, everywhere, all human beings. This applies to us all. In chapters 1 and chapter 2, we have a couple of reiterations of God creating humankind. He forms man from the dust of the ground. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. He causes this man, Adam, that he named Adam, to fall into a deep sleep. He takes a rib out of his side, and he creates his wife. He presents this woman unto the man, and she is now his wife. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, and this is the origin of marriage, and it wouldn't take very long in the narrative of Scripture for them to be given their official assignments, what it is that they're to be doing. Now, earlier in Genesis, we read that God created this man, and he placed him in the garden to dress it, and to keep it. Eve's role in creation prior to sin was simply to be the companion of Adam. There was not found a help meet for him, a companion that was appropriate for him. What's so interesting about this, in Genesis we read over and over, God created and it was good. God created and it was good. The only thing that was said to be not good in this paradise was that the man was alone. And so they were to exist, Adam and Eve, as a perfect man and a perfect woman, upright, natural man, upright human beings that were not spiritual yet, but they were natural, without sin, living in this Garden of Eden, having children, loving one another, caring for one another. That's what God's will originally was for mankind. Now, in chapter 3, you know the problem. You know what happens. The serpent beguiles Eve. She eats. She gives to her husband, Adam, and he eats. Their eyes are opened as they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God commanded them not to eat of, and because of that, they die. Now, it would take nearly a millennia for them to physically die in the Bible, but they died a death in trespasses and in sins the moment that they ingested 
of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were now sinners. They were in rebellion to God. When God speaks to them and he gives his curses on them for their rebellion to him, he says to the woman, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. To the man, he says, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So God tells this woman that her duty is to bear children, and to the man, he says that his duty is to work in toiling and difficulty. He is to work by the sweat of his face, tilling the ground, and bring forth the food that they are to eat. Now, it might look a little different in our day and age because we don't toil the ground, as it were, but whatever you do for work, that is finding itself in this commandment that God gave Adam. To the ladies who are listening to the broadcast today, as you have children, you are fulfilling this commandment that God gave here to Eve. We see God's design for humanity, both male and female here. Now, just think about it from a biological perspective. The male is designed to work and the male is designed to protect. The female is designed to grow, deliver, and nurture children. Sometimes women in our day and age resent that, and they're angry at that. But think about the great blessing it is that you get to bring a child into the world. It grows within you. It develops. You birth that child into the world. And then until our modern day with plastic bottles and Similac, you are literally what fed the baby. Now, this is not politically correct to say, but actual real science isn't subject to politics or social constructs because it's just the accurate study of the world around us. In other words, facts are facts. And the facts of the matter are God designed men and women differently to have different functions in the world. Let me just interject another thought here from this passage. In the beginning, God made them male and female, we read earlier in Genesis. It is not only okay for a man to be masculine and a woman to be feminine, it is intended by God and it is pleasing to God. I want to reclaim biblical masculinity in the minds of people who listen to this broadcast. And I want you sisters to understand that it is absolutely good and fine for you to be feminine. God made man and woman, male and female, masculine and feminine, and we are different. Now, I know that that would make heads explode in certain corners of our country, but every kindergartner understands that. Little boys and girls understand that. Animals understand that. But adult humans who live in the West in 2023 don't seem to understand that. But this is the fact of the matter. Human beings, male and female, are different, and that is okay. That is absolutely okay. What did God design the man to do? What did he command him to do? He told him to go work. Adam was made before the fall, obviously, and God puts him in the garden to dress and keep it. And then after the fall, God told him that his life will be harder now, but he's still to go and to work. That's what God has commanded us, in particular, men folk, to do 
is to work. Now, there's a couple of caveats that I want to give you in brief. If a man is injured or he's retirement age, he might not be able to work, and that's fine. I find it interesting that the priests in the Old Testament had a certain time of their life they were able, by God's law, to go about their priesthood, and then they were to retire. They actually had to retire. In our denomination today, we don't usually retire. We just kind of die, or we get so old that we're unable to get in the pulpit and to preach the gospel anymore. But there actually was a retirement age for the priests in ancient Israel, meaning that God is not against something such as retirement. This also isn't a statement of politics as it pertains to social programs. When I say that a man is commanded to go work, you can probably think of that passage from Paul's writings that if a man won't work, he also should not eat. That is very true. Paul told the Thessalonians that in Second Thessalonians. But I'm not talking about politics today. I'm not discouraging helping the needy, and in fact, later in today's program, I'm going to encourage you to do that. Another caveat or question, perhaps, that I should answer, if God says, man, go work, provide for your family, woman, have children, if you are blessed to have children, and keep the home, does that mean that it's wrong for a woman, a wife, to have a job? No. In fact, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, she's the virtuous woman. This is the ultimate example of womanhood in the Bible. She earned income. Listen to the description of this virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. In verse 13, she sought wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. She's like a merchant ship bringing food from afar. She wakes up early and gives meat to her household. She considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She's working. She girds her loins with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. What, what is good merchandise? Well, it's something that you sell. So she goes and she creates income for her family. She makes fine linen and sells it, verse 24, and delivers girdles unto the merchant. The virtuous woman did a lot to work. And so this isn't what I'm sharing with you today to say that Work is only for men, and having children is only for women. While it's certainly true that only a woman can birth a baby, it's certainly true that only a woman can birth a baby. It's not true, biblically, that only men can have a job or create revenue. This woman sells clothing that she makes. She invests the money of the household into a field and plants a vineyard there so that her family can eat, but also so they can sell what is produced in the vineyard, which would be the grapes or the wine that is produced there. And because of that, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Her children call her blessed and her husband praises her in verse 28. So she was certainly a working woman. But I do think it proper, and hear me very carefully, to remind us that until our modern society, the traditional nuclear family with a working dad and a mother caring for children was the norm, and this is by design and reflected in even our biology. So we are to work. Now, there's different types of work. There's the plowing of the field in the old days. There is the building of things. There are so many different types of employment that a person can be engaged in, and we are to be engaged in work. As we work, we generate income And so now what I want to do is transition into this thought of wealth, generating wealth. Do we desire wealth or should we be content with what we have and simply work for the sake of glorifying God? 
Now, I want to stop right here and make this point. There are many things that a person can do for work. And I would say that any honest work is noble work. We have the terrible tendency in our country to act condescending to anyone not making six figures a year or working a white-collar job. That is a sin issue. That is rooted in pride. If you work a white-collar job and that's what you want to do, thank God for that. But never for a moment look down your nose at somebody that works a manual labor job or somebody that works retail or somebody that works in food prep. All honest work is noble. And again, this is a sin issue rooted in pride when we look at some work as beneath us or lesser than other types of work that people do. Everything that adds to society in a positive and necessary way is to be respected. I like to pay attention to how people of various stripe were treated in old movies and television shows. I'm sure most of us grew up watching the Andy Griffith show. I certainly did. It was one of my father's favorite shows to watch. And since we had only a few channels when it came on TV, it was usually on our television. In Andy Griffith, who was the most wealthy man in town? Well, it was a man that owned the local department store. His name was Ben Weaver. In our day and age, you might look at somebody who owns a little store as inferior to somebody that's making bank, as it were, selling insurance or a doctor or lawyer, etc. But you rewind history less than 100 years, and the guy that runs the local store is one of the most powerful people in town. Did anybody in Andy Griffith look down on Floyd the barber for being a barber? No, he was a respected man. How about Gomer for being a mechanic, the dirtiest of jobs there in Mayberry? No one looked down on him for that. They appreciated him, and he's utilized in many episodes as someone that's very necessary and important to the community. Now, I realize that's fiction, but it reflected a time in American history when any work was respected. And just to put it very bluntly, we need to return to that mindset in our country today. All Honest work is noble work, and those who do it are to be appreciated. It's often said that we should talk to a CEO. It's often said today that we should talk to the janitor with the same level of respect that we talk to the CEO. And might I just say that even in that statement, a fundamental flaw in our thinking is revealed. Why would we need to compare the CEO with the janitor if we thought all work was noble? Even in that statement, there is bias for the white-collar job over the person that is doing manual labor, cleaning up after other people. No, we need to respect all work if it is noble work, period. Now, back to our subject for today. While we are to work, and obviously work generates income, income is how we feed ourselves, God warns us against desiring to be wealthy. You won't hear this on a lot of Christian broadcasts, that God warns us against desiring to be wealthy. But listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, after saying in verses 6 through 8 that godliness with contentment is great gain, after saying that we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out, and after saying, if we have food and raiment, let us therewith be content, Paul says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
They that will be rich has reference to people who desire to be wealthy. They that will be rich. The word will communicates your desire. A person's will and testament, what does that have reference to? The desire for their estate after they've passed away. This doesn't mean people who will ultimately end up being rich, but people who desire to be rich. They that will be rich, they who want to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, Paul says, is the root of all evil, that is to say, all sorts of evil, all types of evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Do you get the point from Paul's writings that he encouraged this mindset that we have today that we should desire wealth and do all that we can to produce and achieve wealth, and that is the mark of greatness in a man? That isn't what Paul taught. It's not even what many of our forefathers in this own country that we call America believed, and yet it is, it is the mindset that we have today. Paul warns against it. In verse 17 of this same chapter, 1 Timothy 6, we read, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us all things richly to enjoy. With wealth comes pride, and with pride, well, what usually follows after it? A fall. In the book of Proverbs, as we think further in Scripture about the generating of wealth, you find many warnings concerning the way people achieve wealth. There are warnings against laziness. There are warnings against being a sluggard. There are encouragements to be like the ant and continue to work. But in chapter 1, we actually find a warning against what you might call ill-gotten gains. In Proverbs 1, you read about sinners enticing us to come with them and to lay wait for the innocent and devour them up. And the writer here, Solomon, says that what they're doing is laying a trap for their own blood, and if you join in with them, you're going to experience the same negative consequences in your life that they experience. What is that telling us? Not to be greedy and go about trying to get rich through ill-gotten gains. That would be accumulating money the wrong way. In Proverbs 11.1, 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Balances and weights were how they would weigh something to sell it, and there were people who rigged the scales, as it were, to their own financial advantage. And we read here in Proverbs 11.1, 1, this is an abomination to God. God is not happy when people rip other people off. In Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 14, the Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people and the princes thereof. For ye have eaten up the vineyard, and the spoil of the poor is in your houses. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. God is offended when people become wealthy in such a way that causes other people poverty, because we are all made in his image. And so if I spoil the poor, if I take advantage of them, and I devour them, and I take the only money that they have to store treasures in my house, well, God is going to be offended at that, and God is going to deal with me. So there are many ways that the Bible would say are wrong ways at generating income 
notice what the Word of God would call the good way. In the book of Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Diligence leads to greater financial security. And again, we should not desire to be wealthy. We should mortify that desire in our hearts. But if we are diligent, and if we are obeying God, we're going to be diligent. The hand of the diligent maketh rich. And I would add verse 22. You can't leave providence out of this equation. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. So the hand of the diligent makes rich. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. And when God causes someone to have greater financial ease, there's not the sorrow that is added with it that we find when we go about ill-gotten gains. So let's end our broadcast today with a short study on the subject of wisdom. To navigate working and income and what finances God blesses us with versus saving and spending and giving, well, we need a lot of wisdom. In fact, we need biblical wisdom. We need to know God's heart on the matter, and we need to work hard, no pun intended, to bring our hearts into alignment with God's will. As we already said, don't desire wealth, but if you do achieve it, use it for good. So what does that look like? Well, number one, we're to support our families. A man who won't provide is worse than an infidel. 2 Corinthians 12:14 says that parents are to lay up an inheritance for their children. And so to leave your children something when you pass away, that is a good thing. Proverbs 13:22 says a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And I would just interject the thought that I hope I have communicated something more worthwhile to my children that can be an inheritance for them to enjoy in this world greater than financial security because there are more valuable things in this world than financial security. Number two, what we can do with wealth if we use it wisely is support the local church. In terms of ministry, they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul didn't use this power, but it's clearly and obviously the pattern that he taught others. It's also the pattern of the Old Testament. As priests had no inheritance other than the Lord and their service, they were supported by what people brought to the temple. The sacrifices fed them, and that was God's will. As people give to their local church and the church supports the pastor with a portion of what they receive, it furthers work like the work you're listening to right now. It enables them to study and to pray, and to visit, and to produce resources that God's people would be blessed. That is an important work in the world. If we're believers, we should understand that. We're also to support the less fortunate in the church, like they did in the book of Acts. People sold, in the book of Acts chapter 4, houses and lands that they owned, and brought the proceeds of that to the apostles' feet, so that distribution could be made to the impoverished within the body of believers. And so part of what we can do with what God blesses us with is give it to those in the church who are in times of financial difficulty. Speaking of which, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, we are literally commanded to take care of the widows who are among us and destitute and in need and widows indeed. This is non-negotiable. We are to honor widows that are widows indeed, and by honor, Paul means financially support. This is actually a biblical commandment to the New Testament church. 
And then lastly, we're to do good unto all people, even at times caring for strangers. What did the Good Samaritan do? He cared for a stranger, which is literally the example that Jesus gave us, showing how to keep God's law and love our neighbors as ourselves. Sometimes we view things like work and finances as a compartmentalized issue away from spirituality, but we couldn't be more wrong in doing so. All that we do, all, is to be to the glory of God, and in every area of life, we are to let our light so shine before others that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. May we employ biblical wisdom in areas like work and finances so that we glorify God. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write, let me know that you've received today's broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. May the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes or online at our website. To contact Pastor Winslet, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org. Oh.